When you think about Nintendo, the first image in many people's heads is Mario and his iconic red hat and mustache. When you think about a Mario game, chances are that you're thinking of one of the iconic 2D platformer games on the NES or the SNES, or maybe one of the more modern iterations of the 3D variety. But a lot might not associate Super Mario with RPGs. And if you do, you're probably thinking of the wildly successful and popular Paper Mario franchise. The, you know, first two or three of those anyway. But what if I told you that there was another RPG game based in the Mushroom Kingdom that predates the Paper Mario games? I'm talking, of course, of Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars on the Super Nintendo. My name is Mark, and this is The Game Closet Project. In the mid-90s, Nintendo was riding high on the success of the Super Nintendo in the US. Mario had already made several appearances in several games on the console, including Super Mario World 1 and 2, Super Mario Kart, Mario Paint, Mario All-Stars, and other lesser-known titles like Mario is Missing, Mario's Time Machine, various education titles like Mario Fun with Letters and Fun with Numbers, and even a Dr. Mario and Tetris crossover. Racing games, sports games, puzzle games, platforming games, Mario had done it all. Almost. At the same time, the Japanese-based game developer Square, which would later become known as Square Enix, was experiencing great success with their role-playing games like Final Fantasy, Secret of Mana, and later on Chrono Trigger. While these games did great in Japan, the RPG struggled to find an audience in the West. Square wanted to make an RPG to break through into the US markets, and Nintendo, specifically Shigeru Miyamoto, Mario's creator, wanted to put Mario in an RPG, a genre that Mario had yet to tackle. A meeting happened between the two companies and talks about the idea using Mario as the main character for an RPG went well, and soon they struck a partnership and started production on a new RPG adventure starring the famous Italian plumber. Development of the game began in mid-1995, with Square working hand-in-hand -hand with Nintendo. Miyamoto served as producer of the game and also worked very closely with the creative teams. Development took about a year and a half, a majority of which was spent developing the graphics. Originally imagined with a 2D top-down perspective that Square used for their RPGs, the team drew inspiration from one of Nintendo's second-party developers, Rare, and their recently released and very successful game, Donkey Kong Country. Donkey Kong Country utilized a new technology at the time that pre-rendered the graphics on the cartridge, thus pushing the envelope of what the SNES could do and giving the games a more 3D and detailed look. Square wanted to use this new technology in their game, and as such, Super Mario RPG features an isometric design portraying the beloved characters from the 2D Mushroom Kingdom in a 30-degree angle with detailed 3D-like graphics. This was so advanced, in fact, that the cartridge of Super Mario RPG, which, by the way, was only 32 megabits in size, was given a faster processor and more RAM than the actual Super Nintendo console itself. This allowed for the game to pre-render the detailed models and allowed for more characters and assets to be on screen at any given time. And by the way, 32 megabits is equal to 4 megabytes. Fast forward to 1995 and the game was nearing completion except for one major detail. At the V-Jump Festival in Japan, Miyamoto was joined by the game's director, Chihiro Fujioka, where they revealed the game to the world, and asked the audience to decide what direction the game should go in. 
Should Mario use a weapon and magic attacks, like the characters in the typical RPGs that Square was used to making? Or should Mario use his more traditional hammer and jump attacks? The audience overwhelmingly picked hammer and jump attacks, and development continued using Mario's long-established arsenal and skill set. The game was finally released in Japan on March 9th, 1996, and in May of the same year for the US. European gamers unfortunately wouldn't get their hands on the game until over a decade later when the game was added to the Wii's Virtual Console in 2008, due to the logistics of localization and production costs. In Japan, 1.47 million copies were sold, making it the third best-selling game in 1996. But how did it do in the US? Remember, Square teamed up with Nintendo to make this game in order to break into the US market in a big way. They had conservative projections for the game and only shipped about 300,000 copies. But within a month, stores had already sold through 200,000 of them and were on track to sell 1 million copies by the end of 1996. By mid-August, the game had been the number one blockbuster rental game for 14 weeks straight. As you can guess, the game was incredibly well received by fans and critics alike, getting positive reviews praising it for its gameplay, storytelling, humor, and unique graphical style many calling it a must-have for the SNES. It was even nominated by Nintendo Power for Best Graphics in 1997, but ultimately lost to Super Mario 64 on the Nintendo 64, both of which would release just a few months after Super Mario RPG. The game starts off like most Mario games. Bowser's kidnapped Princess Toadstool yet again, and Mario is on his way to rescue her from Bowser's castle. During this intro, the player takes control of Mario and walks around the inside of the castle and learns basic controls, movement, and the menu system. However, the game takes a turn right at the peak of the battle between Mario and Bowser, as a giant sword comes falling out of the sky and lodges itself into Bowser's castle, scattering all the characters across the world map. You eventually find out that the invasion is the work of the evil Smithy Gang, who also destroyed Star Road, which is the place where the world's wishes are granted. It's then up to Mario and his party to find the seven star pieces to restore Star Road and defeat the evil Smithy Gang. Mario is joined on this adventure by two new characters, Mallow, an orphan Cloudpuff who thinks he's a tadpole, and Gino, a doll that's been possessed by a star spirit. Also joining the party are Princess Peach, whose famous parasol makes its first appearance in a game, and Bowser himself, who's been abandoned after his army had deserted him out of fear of the Smithy Gang. Each character brings specific strengths and abilities to the fight in traditional RPG fashion. Now for my review. Uh, to be honest with you, I wouldn't consider myself a fan of this game. I certainly would recommend and encourage you to play it at least once for yourself like I did. However, I'm not going to be one of the people who tell you this game is hands down one of the best RPGs ever made. The game is slow and grindy like most RPGs, but I, I found the story to be a bit dull and it was even a little confusing at times. You don't find out about the state of Star Road or that Star Road is even a thing until well after you've acquired your first star, which had me questioning if I had somehow missed important dialogue or story at that point. And oh boy, would it have been easy to do so. Super Mario RPG has a lot of dialogue to get through. At times I was mashing the A button just to get through it. The characters certainly have a lot of personality that shine through in the dialogue, and it's mostly entertaining and funny to read at times, but in typical Nintendo fashion, it can be too much of a good thing and left me just wanting to continue with the game versus reading more. The story itself was a little less compelling than I'd have liked it to be for an RPG. The bosses all seemed kind of mismatched and out of place in the Mario universe and really felt like filler in some instances. 
Any major character outside of the ones in your party are pretty forgettable and really just serve as exposition dumps to move what little story there was along. Each new area and stage kind of exists in its own world and really isn't affected by the overall theme, which kind of had me questioning how big of a threat the Smithy Gang even was. Oh, wait, that's right, Giant Sword in the Castle, got it. The combat system is pretty straightforward, although the menus did take some getting used to. Super Mario RPG is a sort of action RPG game in that there were timing and action commands involved during the battles, instead of just selecting a move and an enemy to attack. It's a fun game mechanic and it certainly livened up the game a bit when I was able to figure out the timing. There seemed to be an RNG aspect to a lot of the damage you'd block or deal, which was a little bit frustrating to get used to when it came to the battles, and especially during the boss battles. Not knowing how much HP the enemies had was also a little bit of an annoyance, and some fights just never seemed to end. I'd be questioning if I was using the correct abilities or hitting the correct spots on enemies, or even doing any damage at all, only to look up a guide and find out that they were just insanely high HP. This led to many items being used and quite a few frustrating game over screens. A lot of the boss battles seemed to really come down to whether or not you were stocked up on mushrooms and syrups more so than you were defeating them creatively. Which leads me to one of my biggest criticisms. In the game, your party during battles is limited to only 3 out of the 5 playable characters. Mario is locked into his spot, so you can only swap out Mallow, Geno, Peach, and Bowser. Each character has its strengths and weaknesses and performs better against various enemies. However, you're only allowed to swap party members outside of battle. This is incredibly frustrating in my opinion because it would mean the difference between defeating the boss or a game over screen. With no context clues and the mobs spawning somewhat randomly inside a turn-based combat arena, it was always a crapshoot as to whether it was better to have a team made up with Bowser and Geno, or Bowser and Peach, or Bowser and Mallow or any combination of those. The only way you'd find out a character wasn't quite as effective as you hoped was to grind through the battle, die, respawn at the last save, and hopefully you hit the save block pretty recently, uh, and then try a different character on the next go. This is a very frustrating part of the game considering the amount of dialogue you'd have to trudge through for the second and third times, but this is especially frustrating when you take into consideration that just two months before Super Mario RPG was released in Japan, Pokemon Red and Green were released, a game that allowed you to swap up to six Pokemon in and out of battle. Whether this is an intentional design choice or simply an oversight, it makes the game no less annoying at times, because if you didn't have the right characters in play, it was just an inevitable, slow, and painful death. Armor and weapons are a little less deep than I'd have liked as well, it seems as though you progress through the game, each new town with a new shop had a new weapon or a new item for almost every character that was always better than the last one. You certainly had to stay on top of swapping out the old armor and weapons for the new ones as you progressed, or else you'd die a lot faster and your damage wouldn't be as high, thus making battles take even longer than usual. But it's not like it was really involved or changed how the game was played outside of the action commands or certain weapons. The game basically consisted of new town, go to shop, sell old armor and weapons, buy new armor and weapons, rinse and repeat. It felt like an empty and hollow mechanic to me more than anything really based in any strategy. The battles themselves had some strategy to them, but like I said before, it really came down to burning through your item inventory during a location or dungeon and making sure you outlast your insanely high HP boss versus attacking them creatively. Sure, you could use Mallow or Peach to strategically heal your damage dealers at the most opportune times in anticipation of high damage attacks, but outside of that, it's just trial and error and chipping down the enemy's HP.
The music for the game was from composer Yoko Shimomura, who composed music for Street Fighter 2 and would later go on to compose music for Kingdom Hearts and many, many other titles. The music's very cheerful and uplifting, but can be quite repetitive at times, especially in battle. After your third attempt at a boss, it gets to be a more grating than enjoyable experience. It would have been nice to have different music for different battles and victory screens that match the environment you were fighting in, but overall the soundtrack's pretty great and certainly livens up the world and gives it a whimsical and lighthearted aura. The overall design of the game is where Super Mario RPG shines the most, in my opinion. The pre-rendered graphics of the game are really colorful and detailed for a Super Nintendo game, and the towns and worlds they built are really appealing and pleasant to look at. There's a lot of NPCs and new races in this game, and the world truly seems like a busy, bustling world at times. A lot of the characters, and the Toads especially, have different outfits and colors to make them more individualistic, unlike a certain other, more recent game, <laughs> Paper Mario the Origami King. <laughs> Excuse me. The battle scenes and animations were great for the most part, though it does seem like certain battlefield textures were phoned in. Some of them were very detailed and artistic, whereas others were just blobs of green and brown. Gross. Being that the game was made on the same engine that they used to make the Donkey Kong Country game, it seems that they lifted uh, and slightly altered certain sprites from Donkey Kong Country and even Donkey Kong himself for a couple of the mob enemies. It's really made for a more funny cameo of sorts, more so than anything. And speaking of cameos and easter eggs, the game has plenty to find, including throwbacks to the original Mario sprite and shoutouts to other Nintendo titles like The Legend of Zelda. There's even a secret boss that looks like it belongs in a Final Fantasy game, which is wild to look at. All in all, Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars is a... solid game. Though it certainly has its flaws, it's still a game that is basically a must-own on any Super Nintendo collection, if anything just for its historic context and popularity. Plus the fact that it's a Mario game. However, despite owning it, I don't really see myself playing through this game ever again. It has its fun moments for sure, and even incorporates some platforming and other fun challenges into the story. There's a lot of NPCs to talk to for the immersive aspect and plenty of items and hidden treasures and leveling to do, but at the end of the day, I found it to be more of a chore to get through. This wasn't a game that I was dying to get back on and play. It felt more like a, let's get through this as fast as possible at times. All in all, I just wasn't having as much fun as I had hoped I would. I will say that I was surprised at how similar the style and mechanics of the game are compared to Paper Mario on the N64. And there's a reason for that. The game did so well that a sequel was planned for the N64, once again involving Square and Nintendo. However, the two companies had a falling out over Nintendo's choice to continue using cartridges for their new console instead of arguably the better technology that was available on CDs that Sony was using on their new PlayStation console. Square went on to make their typical RPGs for the PlayStation like Final Fantasy 4 through 9. Meanwhile, Nintendo took Super Mario RPG and expanded upon it and spun it off into a whole new and flat universe with Paper Mario borrowing a lot of the mechanics, humor, and style from Super Mario RPG, and in my opinion, made a far better game. So do I like Super Mario RPG? Not a whole lot. Do I recommend Super Mario RPG? Yes, I do. I think it's worth playing through at least once, and especially if you're an RPG or Mario fan. The game blends both of those very well considering the time period it was made. The game was a catalyst to Square Enix becoming such a huge force in the West and Final Fantasy becoming one of the most popular series in the world. This is definitely a game that belongs in any serious SNES collection or video game collection at that. And the price of the game backs that claim up. 
At the time of recording this Super Mario RPG is worth about $84 for the cartridge alone, complete in-box pricing soaring over $200 on average, and a sealed new in-box copy of the game recently sold on eBay for over $4,000. Definitely a collector's item, and one that will occupy a space in my game closet for many, many years to come. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. This was an ambitious first game for the show, and I'm glad I was finally able to get it done. Hopefully, moving forward, the episodes will come out a bit more frequently than this one. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to share it with your friends and give it a good rating on whatever platform you're listening on, and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next one. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TheGamePadPod, and we're on Facebook at fb.gg thegamepad. If you want to watch me play the games that I talk about for this show, you can tune in at twitch.tv slash tgpmark. That's the gamepad mark. All the links to these and more are in the show notes below and on our website, thegamepad.tv. The Game Closet Project is a production of The Gamepad.